Welcome to Nearly Numinous. Today, Rachel and I will be interviewing a special guest and friend of ours, Fayeza Izzati. Fayeza was a student in the Religious Studies MA program at Queen's while we were, and we thought it would be great to bring her on the show to chat, so she's going to be teaching us about Muslims in Canada. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for coming on the show. We haven't talked in a while, so it's nice to see you. Nice to see you too again. You are, you are really doing a great job. And it's, I'm so excited to be here today. So what have you been up to since we graduated? Um, honestly, I had lots of rest <laughs> in the past year. And I applied for a PhD. I got admission from um, the University of Calgary. And right now I'm uh, just parking to move to Calgary. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Do you tell us a little bit about what you plan on researching when you're in Calgary? Um, yep. Um, I want to work on the relationship between value systems and actually charitable activities in an organization and benevolent action of individual. Um, more specifically, I want to uh, compare this kind of activities, charitable activities between people specifically inside organized religion with people um, out of organized religion, mostly secular spiritual people, for example, to see is there any significant differences because of value systems for doing such thing. Yeah, this is my plan to see what's happened. That's really, really cool and really interesting. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So today um, we're going to be talking about Muslims in Canada, and that's something that you're especially interested in. Um, but I thought first, maybe for listeners who may not know that much about Islam, could you give us a little bit of uh, background about some of the, the main things that you think that they should know? Yeah, sure. Islam um, is the last of the three monotheistic Abrahamic religions. Uh, Islam, as an Arabic term, comes from the three letter roots of Salama, uh, which means peace, soundness, and safety. You will probably say that Muslims say salam or salam alaikum um, as the greeting, right? Islam has the same root with salam and um, salam means peace be upon you. The word Islam literally means um, submission or surrender and as the name of the religion it means submission to the will of God. By doing this, looking at the root of the word salama, a person will find inner peace, safety and uh, soundness in life. If um, yeah, if I want to explain how a Muslim is, obviously the followers of Islam are called Muslims. But according to the Quran, the central religious text of Islam, um, Islam is a very inclusive faith. I mean, Islam does not consider itself as having originated in the seventh century, the time of Prophet Muhammad. It is the universal faith based on a universal truth, not an a historical event or just a figure. 
it um, consider itself as the religion of all the prophet before Muhammad, from Adam to Muhammad. So uh, Muslims believe um, Adam was Muslim, Abraham was Muslim, Moses and Jesus were Muslims because all of them submitted to the will of God, right? Uh, yeah, so for example, in the recent clashes between the Palestinians and um, Israel rise again by the issue of Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood, I saw that one of the significant topics mentioned by uh, pro-Palestinian activists um, on the Instagram live or article or in statements made during solidarity rallies in various countries was that um, Islam is not anti-Semitic or anti-Judaism. And their most important argument was that we, as a Muslim, believe that uh, Moses was the prophet of God and Moses was a Muslim. So how can we be, for example, anti-Judaism? Yeah. So would you be able to tell us what some of the key beliefs and practices are in Islam? Yeah, sure. Um, Muslims have three um, principles of belief. First, Tawheed, or the concept of indivisible oneness of God as the creator and sustainer of the world. It's very important belief in Islam as it recognizes the absolute monotheism of God. The second principle uh, is nubuwa or prophecy is the concept that God has chosen the perfect um, prophets and messengers to teach religion and to show the true path to humanity. And the last one is Ma'ad and the Day of Judgment. Um, after death, Muslims believe human beings will re leave this world and enter another uh, eternal world that they will be judged for their action. Yeah, these three are the principles of belief. Uh, in addition, the religious practice, the religious practice of Islam is based on tents that are known as the five pillars. Um, okay, should I talk about five pillars right now? <laughs> yeah, Yeah, if you want to. Yeah. Um, these five pillars are um, the profession of faith or the shahada, which is the most fundamental expression of Islamic belief. It simply states that, okay, there is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet justice. When you say this, you... Mm, become a Muslim <laughs> and it emphasizes the monotheistic nature of Islam the second pillar is Salat or daily prayers Muslims are expected to pray five times a day at a specific times this does not mean that they need to attend the mosque or um, to pray Muslims can or actually are expected um, pray anywhere in a school in university I don't know in workplace anywhere at that specific time However, they are meant to pray towards Kaaba or the house of God in the city of Mecca, uh, located in Saudi Arabia today. The third pillar is almsgiving or zakat. Zakat is an Islamic finance term referring to the obligation that an individual has to share a certain um, proportion of wealth annually to certain charitable causes. This almsgiving is a religious duty. It's kind of mandatory duty for all Muslims uh, who 
meet the necessary criteria of wealth to help the needy. And by Quranic ranking, it's next after prayer in importance. Um, the fourth pillar is fasting during Ramadan or Psalm. In Ramadan, the ninth month in the Islamic calendar, Muslims are expected to fast the whole month from dawn to dusk. Obviously, there are ex mm, exceptions made for those who are physically or mentally incapable of fasting, such as the sick, elderly, pregnant woman, and so on. And yeah, an interesting point um, about fasting or Amazon is that Islamic calendar is uh, lunar based, so Muslims experience Ramadan in different seasons throughout their life, and it's really um, is a different different is a big difference between fasting in, for example, summer and winter. <laughs> yeah, and the last pillar is pilgrimage to Mecca or Hajj. And right now we are at the time of Hajj. Hajj has a specific time. And um, of course, COVID-19 <laughs> type of hat, not the usual one, but, 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 but uh, by very limited people, yeah. And all Muslim who are able physically, mentally, and financially are required to perform hajj at least uh, once in their lives. Hajj um, focuses on visiting the Kaaba and walking around it seven times and doing a special ritual based on a specific um, guideline. Yeah, sorry, it was supposed to be brief, but <laughs> let's take more. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I w I'm hoping to go a little bit more detail in some, some of these practices. Um, you've given us a good, good summary of the different practices, and um, I just thought it was interesting to note, maybe for our listeners who might have uh, more of a a Protestant understanding of religion that focuses more on uh, faith specifically in religion. That's very common in the West that people think that the main thing in religion is faith. But as I'm hearing what you're saying, it's it's faith, but it's also very, very important, the practices of Islam. And that's just something that I wanted to highlight for our listeners that I think is really important. Yes, actually, Islam has very um, emphasized on practice, not just belief. There is a Sharia law, for example, the uh, law that in some um, sects specifically talk about everything in life. It's not something for just prayer time. For example, you have some uh, religious duties for drinking water, sleeping, I don't know, maybe wearing varying clothes and everything in your life it's a complete or at least in some sects or interpretation there is a complete um, guideline for everything in your life how you can marry how you can um, give birth for example even or something that is um, very natural in life and yeah it is very intertwined with everything in life it's not se something separate mm. uh, from the faith and from the living the mm -hmm. life yeah uh, you and i were talking recently about different pilgrimages practiced between the two main sects of islam the sunni and the shia muslims 
Um, and you had mentioned that there's a Shia pilgrimage to a place called Karbala. And I was wondering if you could tell us a, a little bit about this pilgrimage as well, because I know uh, most of the time that I hear about Muslims um, doing a pilgrimage, it's it's the one to the it's the Hajj, um, the one to Mecca. So I was just wondering if you could say a little bit more about that one. And um, and I was also wondering why why do you think that pilgrimage is such an important practice in Islam? Yeah, sure. Um, Hajj is something um, for all Muslims. Shia and Sunni may believe that, and it is something religiously um, obligatory if you are capable of doing that. But Shia, besides Hajj, has um, another significant pilgrimage. Uh, it's one of the actually world's largest annual public gathering, maybe the largest actually, uh, of course, before the Corona time. Uh, people go to Karbala, the uh, sit- a city in um, Iraq today, f- 40 days after the um, Ashura day by um, foot, actually. Uh, they do that for the commemoration of martyrdom of um, Hussein, Imam Hussein, the grandson of the Prophet uh, Muhammad. Um, it's not just in it's not um, performed just in one day, but during a period of, I don't know, 10 days or two, two weeks or so. And for example, in 2016, the number of participants um, reached around 25 million to mm-hmm. visit the Karbala. Yeah, that's, uh, if you search, for example, for the picture, it's really amazing. Um, yeah. Yes, and you ask about the reason for importance of pilgrimage in Islam. The pilgrimage bring about greater humility and unity among Muslims. If we want to talk general about Hajj or um, Karbala for Shia Muslim, and <coughs> actually this journey, though physically important, could be. Um, um, actually, there are an inner journey too, and it is an um, a spiritual aspects of the journey that is very, very important for Muslims. And it's offer a chance to um, kind of start a new life before God and before the individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, um, Hajj itself could be really a starting point again in your life. You can start um, living with another um, I don't know view to the world and mm. before God yeah of course you moved to Canada a few years ago but I was just wondering um, in general like what does it mean to be a Muslim in Canada yeah to answer this question or um, any question about Muslims in general I should first mention that about 2 billion Muslims exist, exist um, worldwide with infinite diversity in race, language, culture, and geographical distribution. And as religious researcher, we know how religion is intertwined with these elements, right? So um, when we want to talk about Muslims in the world, we have to ask a um, more specific question, which Muslims in which region, in which sex. As Canada is a multicultural um, society, it's the case particularly in Canada, 
I mean, Muslims are quite diverse here. They include people from um, culturally and linguistically distinct societies in the Middle East, for example, East Asia, East, um, South, South Asia, Southeast Asia, and Africa, who are in ethnicity, who are really uh, vary in ethnicity and culture as well as religious affiliations. Um, one of the professors of sociology and women's studies at York University, Professor Haida Morrissey, who got her MA and PhD <laughs> from Queens, uh, has done valuable research on the subject of Muslims, diaspora, and migration. And she specifically published a book on Muslims in Canada. If I'm not mistaken, she says uh, in her book that Canadian Muslims originate from more mm, than 85 nations. Uh, and yeah, you can imagine that within each national category, there are also different ethnic, cultural, and sectarian groups with very distinctive degrees of religious commitment. Yeah? Um, social, economic, and political conditions of life in the originating country, as well as levels of education, by a large, uh, define how these Muslims live in Canada. These factors, to a large extent, also define their levels of um, flexibility and openness to change. So uh, it's really hard to talk about the Islamic identity of this heterogeneous group. Um, yeah, if I just want to point to one example, there are women who say that we are Muslims and consider hijab here as an obligatory religious duty in Islam, but at the same time, uh, there are women who say that we are Muslims too, and do consider hijab as something optional or just recommended duty. It's, yeah, it's really hard to generalize <laughs> all this group together. Islam has a very long history in Canada, um, much longer than what I had realized from what I learned in um, my middle school or, or high school history curriculum. And I was wondering if you could walk us through some of that history. Yes, the first um, serious um, presence of Muslims in the Americas dates back to the era of slavery. Uh, scholars estimate that between 14% uh, of all, all slaves and 20% of African slaves brought to the Americas were Muslim. Based on the, on the documents, some of them spoke the Arabic language, um, and some slaves, for example, refused to eat pork or drink alcohol. That's something that belonged to Muslim people, for example. Uh, Frederick Denny, in his great book, An Introduction to Islam, talks about this issue with more detail and state that since the 20th century, Afro-Americans have tried to recover their lost um, cultural and spiritual traditions, including Islamic heritage. And yes, today we know that one third of the total Muslims population in the United States are um, African-American. Besides these Muslims slave, mus Muslim slaves, Danny mm, talks about three waves of Muslims immigration to North America. Uh, first, Middle Eastern Muslims, mostly unskilled and uneducated laborers from the Arab world began arriving in America in the late 19th century. 
The second wave goes back to the end of the first and second world wars. These Muslim, these Muslim immigrants mostly were from Arab countries again, but also from Eastern Europe and the Soviet regions. And uh, yeah, since the late 1960s, after immigration laws um, took effect in the United States and then in Canada, the third and largest cohort came and continued to arrive from many different countries. This group includes a high proportion of well-educated professionals who have a sophisticated global perspective. Um, yeah, according to Denny, um, the two earlier wave, um, waves had mostly economic motivations, but the third wave was often motivated also by the desire to escape political oppression and persecution. Uh, yeah, one oh to add something interesting, um, apparently or based on official document, actually there were um, more than one hundred fifty Arabs on board the Titanic, and twenty were saved, uh, including a, a seventeen years old girl from a Shia Lebanese family. Yes, I read this in the book written by. Professor Liara Takim about Shiism in uh, America. She um, had a family and all of them were died. And yeah, she came to Canada. She came to the uh, United States, sorry. So did her family all die on the Titanic? Or yeah, all yeah. Okay? Yes, That's and terrible. yes, but at least we know that at least these, fa mm -hmm. these groups of family had the uh, Islamic background. Mm -hmm. But probably most other Arabs had the Islamic background too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yes, this was about the whole um, story. If I just um, if I just focus on Canada specifically, the first recorded Muslim family arrived in Upper Canada from Scotland in the uh, in the early 1850s. Uh, four years after Canada's founding, in uh, 1867, the 1871 Canadian census found 13 Muslims among the population. <laughs> yeah, and eight years later, the first Canadian mosque um, was constructed in Edmonton, when there were approximately 700 Muslims in the country. By 2011, the Muslim population passed the one million mark. Uh, more than 3% of the total population and representing one of the fastest growing religious group. Yes, seven, uh, 67 of Canadians were Christian at that time, 24% had no religion, and 3% were Muslims. So, yes, Muslims are an integral part of Canada today. They are lots of mosques around Canada, lots of Islamic school, Muslim cemeteries, halal restaurants, Sufi mystical societies, and so on. Yeah. That's really cool. So you've looked into some research regarding Muslim dispersion and integration, uh, identity and political orientation in Canada. Could you tell us a bit about what you found in this research? Sure. Um, I've brought some interesting data with me today. Two-thirds of all Canadian Muslims live in just two cities, 
Toronto and Montreal. If uh, we add Vancouver, Edmonton, and Calgary, we can say that more than 80% of Muslims lives, live in these big cities. Regarding Canadian identity um, for Muslims, according to the 2016 National Survey of uh, Muslims in Canada, conducted by the Environics Institute, uh, most Canadian Muslim, I mean 94%, express a strong or very strong sense of belonging to Canada. The survey reveals that a strong majorities consider both Islam and Canada uh, to be very important, par important parts of their personal identity. 83% of Muslims were very proud to be Canadian compared with 73% of non-Muslim <laughs> Canadian who said the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And yes, Canadian Muslims reported Canada's freedom and democracy as the greatest source of pride. It's worth mentioning that non-Muslim Canadians affiliated with a religion are not as likely as Muslims to place a strong importance on their religious identity but are also less apt to place a strong importance on their Canadian identity, except for mainline Protestants. Non-Muslims overall are more likely to identify with being Canadian, 43%, than with their religious identity, 28%, with another one quarter, 24, placing equal emphasis on both their Canadian and religious identities. Um, yeah, if want to talk about political orientation, uh, an estimated 79% of Canadian Muslims voted in uh, 2015 federal election, according to a um, post-election poll conducted by Main Street Research. And yeah, we can see that 65% of uh, Muslims voted for liberals and 10% for NDP, 20% for, 2%, sorry, 2% for conservatives, 1% for green, and 1% other. Yeah. That's really interesting, all those percentages and stuff. Um, I, I find the fact especially of um, that non-Muslims non tend to have less Canadian pride than Muslims. Than <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. They emphasize both. <laughs> yeah. So what challenges do you think that there are for Muslims in Canada? Good question, Jacqueline. Muslims are a minority group in Canada, and minorities always face many challenges, no matter why um, they are a minority. Of course, I have to mention that according to various studies and surveys, Canada is a good country in terms of respect for the rights of minorities. But uh, if I want to return to the question, I think the great challenge to Muslims here, or probably in all non-Muslim majority countries, is to be able to live securely with Islamic norms, uh, Islamic norms of belief and behavior, and sometimes it, this could be a very difficult mm, task. In the case of Canada, I think some of um, these challenges are due to society and some are due to differences in behavior or beliefs among Muslims uh, themselves. For example, um, Bill 21 in Quebec 
which bans some civil servants, including teachers, police officers, and uh, liars, government liars, from wearing religious symbols at work, um, is allowed that violence the right to freedom of religion. And um, unfairly focuses on people who express their faith through what they wear. So this law actually um, causes disproportionate harm to some minorities like hijabi women, um, women who are already marginalized. Um, isn't it kind of a systematic discrimination? Yeah, this um, yeah this this is an example of the challenge that law or kind of society poses to Muslim. But um, I think most of the challenges for Muslims are of the second kind. I first mentioned that Muslims in Canada are heterogeneous. There are many cultural differences in the uh, behavior of Muslims. More importantly, there um, are different views on what is Islam or rather what are the religious duties of Muslims. Um, Moreover, even between a sect from one nationality, uh, the degree of commitment to what they call Islam varies from person to person. For example, you may have a friend or colleague who says, I'm a Muslim, but he or she, for example, never pray or sometimes mm, drinks alcohol and the like. Things that your other Muslim friend doesn't do and um, considers them contrary to Islam. So in this um, case, you as someone who doesn't know much about Islam and haven't been in touch with many Muslims might ask yourself, do Muslims drink alcohol or not? Do Muslims, um, for example, shake hands with someone of the opposite gender or not? And yes, this can pose serious challenges for Muslims who practice Islam in such cases. For example, I've seen and heard about the drinking culture here in Canada, at universities, or more in the workplace. Um, I, mean, mm, I mean, I heard about many academic or business meetings, casual gatherings, or Christmas parties um, that are um, sometimes held in the bars uh, where many practicing Muslims are reluctant or um, actually are not religiously allowed to go there. And yes, um, so um, they can't be socially integrated with the people around them, their friends, their colleagues, and so on. But I think it's because of the differences of behavior, mostly. Yeah, the planner don't don't know how, for example, should do, or I don't know, <laughs> maybe. Like me, for example. <laughs> <laughs> no, because this is something. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, when I ask, for example, of, of Muslim from challenges, mostly they consider this that we have very important meeting in bars we can't join but some of our friends say we are muslim and they go mm. and yeah they're not non-practicing muslim actually that's it practicing muslim can't and yeah mostly i think i'm, I'm don't experience so much but i think when you explain for people for example for colleague for boss that as a muslim i can't come they don't insist to gather 
all time in bar, for example, in the bars. Yeah, in the bars. yeah. it's mostly when we we're not aware of someone else's uh, like cultural, um, I don't know, backgrounds or I don't know how to say that. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. These days, I uh, I saw that, uh, for example, it's very common that um, any organization or any mm, or mm, anyone who wants to plan ask about food restrictions. Mm. Uh, always, they ask about how do you eat or um, what is your restriction. I I think it's a good idea to add one another question. What is your another? <laughs> religious restriction for example <laughs> i'm I, not sure but um i've noticed sometimes for uh different events at queens there's um there's a question about dietary restrictions if there's going to be food but then there's often also this question about is there anything else that we can do to make uh like that we can better accommodate your needs oh, at this yes event? yes it was great yeah and i really like the open-endedness of that question so it could be anything it can be something related to disability it can be something about religious practice it can be like anything yes 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 it's great it's great i think yeah for example in this case they can wrote that they can write that we can't come to bars for example Mm. for the party or some such thing yeah so what do you what do you think the future looks like for for muslims in canada Mm. Future, this question is very difficult to answer, at least for me. What is certain is that Canada's Muslim population is growing due to uh, immigration, conversion, and birth. And um, I think Islam and Muslims are still somewhat exotic presences in Canada. But it seems to me that there are good mutual efforts by Muslims and the rest of society to accept each other, to respect each other and in some ways to uh, integrate effectively or interact constructively and yes certainly the role of governments and their policies in this uh, path is very important Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Nearly Numinous. For full transcripts of every episode, check out nearlynuminous.ca. There, you can also find links to subscribe to us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Have a topic you'd like us to talk about, or would you like to be a guest on a future episode? Reach out to us at nearlynuminous at gmail.com. That's spelled N-E-A-R-L-Y-N-U-M-I-N-O-U-S at gmail.com.